Make your way with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, in verse 21. We continue today in our series, Jesus Came to Seek and to Save. We're going to look together at verses 21 through 38 in a message entitled, Believe. The celebration of the birth of Christ is a time of anticipation. We're anticipating what God will do because we know what God has already done. Israel anticipated the coming of Messiah. Heaven anticipated the coming of Messiah to the earth. Wise men anticipated the coming of Messiah after they had been given the information that they were given. To anticipate something is to expect a promise to be fulfilled. To anticipate is to expect transformation of something that needs to be restored. To anticipate is to long for forgiveness of what is wrong. Anticipation is seeking healing of what is hurting. Anticipation is receiving the promise of Christ and the gift that God gives to us. And when we look to Jesus, we find the fulfillment of the greatest gift that's ever been given, the greatest gift that we could ever anticipate in all of life and eternity. And we can unwrap the essentials of this gift, but not fully, even in this lifetime. It will take an eternity to understand the glory of what God has done and the magnificence of what he has given to us through his son. So as we think about these promises in the Bible and we think about the message of Jesus and the gift of Jesus, uh, they give meaning and hope to us because it's the highest of all of our desires and the solution to the deepest of all of our dilemmas that Christ has come and his word is a solid reality on which we can base our present day and secure our future time in him. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, for the circumcision of Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When the baby was ready and the time had come, Mary and Joseph came to the temple for the purification rites that are described in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 12. A woman who had given birth was considered under the law to be ceremonially unclean for a time. So the ceremonial reason was that a sacrifice had to be made and it had to be given unto God, a lamb, if the family was able to do that, or uh, two uh, doves or uh, pigeons, as Joseph and Mary did. And the second reason was to consecrate or dedicate their firstborn son to God, who had sent him to earth. And in this passage, we find two characters. And these two characters that we find make their appearance in what essentially is the final act in the Christmas drama. These characters are Simeon and Anna. Both of them had great faith. Both of them believed. And what I want to show you in these few moments that we have together is what happens to us when we believe. What happens to us when we have faith, when we look to the promise of God and we anticipate by believing in what he has said that it's true. What happens in our hearts and in our lives, and in our mouths, and our speech for the Lord. First off, when we believe, our hearts are filled with anticipation. Our hearts are filled with anticipation. I read an illustration that took place a number of years ago now surrounding the then president emeritus of Harvard University by the name of Charles Eliot. During the summer of his 90th year, he made his way slowly uh, down the street to the neighbor of one of the people who lived close by him in Northeast Harbor, Maine, a family by the name of Peabody. Mrs. Peabody greeted him warmly and invited him into the living room. And after a brief conversation, uh, Elliot asked if he might be able to see her newborn baby. They had just had an addition to the family. And he asked, could he see this newborn baby? Mystified, she lifts her infant son from the crib and brings him to Harvard's venerable president emeritus. And she placed him in his arms. And the old man sat there holding this baby quietly for a few minutes. 
And then with a small gesture of thanks, he returned him to his mother and he said this, I've been looking at the end of life for so long that I wanted to look for a few moments at its beginning. You see, what he was expressing was a need for hope. He was expressing an anticipation, especially in old age, but at all points in life, we need hope. We need something that we can anticipate, something that we can look forward to, something that will remind us again of life and all that God has in store for us. And we find this man named Simeon, whose name means able to hear. He lived with hopeful anticipation. Very little is actually known about him, and the passage doesn't explicitly say that he had a particular office like a priest, but we might infer at least that because he was serving in and around the temple, it's likely that he was in the godly prophetic tradition of Israel. But what we do know about him is that he's described as righteous or just. Now, isn't it interesting that this Old Testament saint is described as righteous or just? After all, this is before Jesus has finished his work on the cross. So the question comes to the forefront, how could someone in anticipation of Jesus be described as righteous or just? And the answer is salvation has always been a gift from God, and salvation has always been by faith. But Simeon was anticipating the promise of the Messiah, and because he believed in God, just as God had done for Abraham, God counted it to him as righteousness, and he was looking forward to the sacrifice that we now have the privilege of looking back on in its completed form. He was righteous in his behavior in the sight of God and towards other people. And he's described as a devout man, well-received in the presence of God, devoted to God, a man who cultivated his walk with God. And very significantly, the Bible says the Holy Spirit was on him. Now that's important. Because he was able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit directing him because he was righteous and he was obedient and devout. And because he was listening and the Holy Spirit was on him, he was able to hear the message of God to him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now that's a phenomenal thought to me. Could you imagine If the Holy Spirit were to reveal to us today that we would not die before we experienced the return of Jesus, how would that impact our lives? How would that cause us to be more vigorous in our devotion, in our faithfulness, and in our evangelizing, in our proclamation? How would that cause us to be more serious about our worship and about our walk with the Lord? And here's Simeon, even though he's an old man, he's been given this promise. So he's looking, and he's waiting, and he's anticipating. He's not looking casually. He is a serious observer. He is longing for this promise that's about to come. 
And we all do it. We spend half of our lives waiting. We wait in waiting rooms and we wait in lines and we wait to be seated and we wait on the phone for customer service. And sometimes it seems like all we're doing in life is waiting for something. And we think of waiting in a very negative sense and we make a mad rush from one place to the other. And we've all heard the sayings, good things come to those who wait. Or maybe we've heard the saying, some things are worth waiting for. He was a man who understood that some things were worth waiting for. Even his entire life, he understood it was worth waiting for. And the scripture says that he was looking forward to or awaiting Israel's consolation. This idea of consolation is important because it's actually the same word as parakletos, of which the word is used to describe the Holy Spirit. So he is looking forward to or awaiting this consolation, and it was appropriate because the longed-for Messiah would come and he would comfort them. He was going to come and bring healing to a hurting world. He was going to come and bring ultimate peace to a world that is at war and is at dissension and is constantly fighting. And yet the Messiah would overcome it by his death. And Jesus says the consolation of Israel was born without sin, but yet he identified with sinners. Jesus says the consolation of Israel was born to save people from every nation from their sins and reconcile them to God. Jesus says the consolation of Israel was born to bring judgment upon those who oppose God. And Jesus says the consolation of Israel was born to bring salvation through his death. And he says here that the mother of Jesus, Mary herself, would be pierced, figuratively speaking, in her soul because of what she would see, referencing, no doubt, the anguish that the mother of the Son of God would experience when she witnessed the crucifixion of her firstborn son. There's another character here in the story by the name of Anna, Anna, a woman of grace. She was an older widow who belonged to the tribe of Asher, and many of the tribe of Asher were actually not carried into captivity, and she's described here as a prophetess, significant because for years there had been this period of silence. God was still working. God's will was still being carried out, but from the time of the close of the Old Testament until the coming of Jesus and the announcement of it in the New Testament is what we know as a period of silence. Some 400 years of waiting for and listening and looking for. There had been no prophet in all of this time who had spoken forth the word of God. And this woman is described as a prophetess. There's actually several women in the Bible who are given this privilege and distinction. Miriam in Exodus, Deborah in Judges, Huldah in 2 Kings, and Philip's daughters, of course, in Acts chapter 21. And Anna's work as a prophetess was very simply to speak forth the word of God that was made known to her and share what she knew about Jesus, which is what we'll find her doing in this very passage. And we learn here that she was married for seven years. And if we read this uh, literally as it is presented in the text, she had been a widow for 84 years. 
Some think that she was actually 84 years old, and then in the reading of it, that's how the translation was given. But I think it's likely because of the order of the wording that she was actually a woman who had been widowed for 84 years. And if you believe that, she would have been over 100 years old. She's an old woman, and she's been a widow for a long time. And you understand that this kind of waiting could lead you to a place of being bitter, maybe a little bit angry about the circumstances of your life, maybe a little bit sorrowful and hardened in your heart because you've been alone all this time and yet you're still waiting and you're still anticipating. Maybe your faith would be spoiled, but not hers. Her roots went down deep and she chose God's path and God chose to reveal his grace in her life. And she never departed from the temple. She was devoted to God. And she continued in her worship and prayers and fasting. This lady was a prayer warrior from start to finish. And both Simeon and Anna lived in anticipation, longing for the promise of God. Do you live your life with a sense of holy anticipation? Are you longing for the things of God to come? Have you anchored your life down in what God has done in the past in such a way that it has given you great confidence for what God will do in the future? Or are you just going through life rushing from one thing to the next, never really thinking or praying with a sense of holy anticipation? Maybe the word for some of you today is that you need to slow down. You need to take time to live your life in anticipation of what God will do. Maybe you need to tune your ear in just a little bit better so that you can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Maybe you can find your path that God wants you to walk in if you'll only slow down enough to listen and be guided and live the way that he wants you to live in anticipation of the return of Jesus. There's something else that happens when you believe. When you believe, uh, our mouths are filled with adoration. Our mouths are filled with adoration. Now, the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon, this is phenomenal in and of itself, at just the right time to come into the temple on just the right day. Joseph and Mary were bringing the baby Jesus to the temple. Now, we don't know exactly what Simeon was envisioning that he was actually going to see. Maybe God had given him more detail that we're not given here in the scripture. But here's what we know. When Mary and Joseph came with that baby, Simeon knew what he was seeing. He knew that what he had longed for had finally come. He knew that the wait was over. He knew that God had kept his promise. The Bible says that Simeon took up the baby Jesus in his arms and he praised God and he acknowledged that God had fulfilled not only the individual promise to him as his servant, but also the collective promise to Israel. In the consolation of Israel, the anointed one who would comfort both the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, I find it profoundly important how Simeon addresses 
God in this moment of the psalm that he offers up. We find the word master, meaning Lord. That's how he addresses the Lord. And it reveals to us how he saw himself in relation to God. The word Lord, as it is used in this reference, is used this way only five times in relation to God. And it means absolute ownership and power. I could not help but think as I was studying this passage of scripture this week about my friend Frank Chambers, who has long now been with the Lord. Frank did not at all like the spotlight, but if he was in a meeting and he was asked to pray, he would quiet himself just for a moment and then he would say, Master. Master. Almost always would open his prayers in that setting with Master. Never heard very many people pray in that particular way. But it revealed what was in his heart that he saw the Lord as the owner of all. And this is what Simeon is doing here. He's saying, Master, Lord, owner of it all, I come to you. And I want you to notice what is happening here. Holding Jesus, Simeon, as it were, was standing in the gap between the old covenant and the new covenant. I mean, this is a big deal what's happening in this moment. Because he's the one who gets to see in that moment the very Son of God. And he thanks God for what this child meant to him personally and also what he meant to the world. And Anna, in response, also thanks God. And you know our hearts ought to be filled with uh, adoration. Our mouths should express adoration to God as we worship Him. That's what we find in Simeon and Anna. And then there's a third thing here that happens that I want to share with you and I'm going to close. When we believe, our lives are filled with acclamation. When Simeon held Jesus, here's what he knew. Salvation had come. He was there. And he utters a psalm of praise extolling God for fulfilling his promise. He proclaims the significance of Jesus. And he says to God, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. I've seen it all now. I mean, can you imagine in that moment what this man experienced? He's been praying and longing for this, and now the Son of God is in his arms. He says, Lord, I've seen it all now. You can dismiss me in peace just as you promised. Salvation is described as a light of revelation, a light pointing to the holiness of God, as glory to the people of God, a manifestation of the presence of God, And evidently, it is an important point of discovery for Mary and Joseph because they were amazed at what was being said about their son to God. And though they had been told that their son was the Messiah, perhaps they had not fully comprehended the entire scope of his ministry to the world. Think about the extent of what Jesus was coming to do. And here they are, the 
humble parents. And according to verse 38, Anna began to speak about him to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. This idea of redemption is the idea of being uh, released from captivity. The Old Testament Passover and the release of Israel from Egyptian slavery stood in that day as the ultimate redemption story. This was a story that was told over and over again among the people of God to remind them of the power of God to deliver his people. Simeon, on the front end of Jesus' life, is there holding him, and he's in between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And then the life of Jesus would be the fulfillment of the New Covenant, which he would finalize in his death on the cross. And even as we observe this Lord's Supper today, we're reminded of that time when Jesus came with his disciples, and they had that Passover meal together. And then Jesus said, this blood is the blood of the New Covenant, my blood which is shed for the remission of sin. So Jesus fulfilled what nobody else could fulfill. And he gave his life. And the old covenant was complete. And now the Bible describes it as obsolete because of the new covenant, which was sealed in the blood of Jesus. And we should take time to tell other people about the hope that we have in Jesus. To exalt his name. To make him known. To leverage those spiritual moments when people are talking about significant things in their lives. And you share your testimony. You share what Jesus means to you and what the significance of Christmas is. And when that door is open, we walk through that door boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the truth of the Word. And we share what we know about Him. And I'm just going to tell you this whole story about a virgin being selected by God to bear His Son is remarkable. The idea that God would become man is so absolutely revolutionary that it could only be an idea that came from God. It can only be of God's doing. It goes beyond human logic. And that tells us that it's either false or it's the most true thing in all the world. And we believe on faith that it is the most true thing in all the world. Look again at verse 30 to 32. And I close with this. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song of response and invitation in celebration of Jesus and just as uh, Simeon and and Anna uh, were on the front end of the promise, and we're now on the other side of it. Uh, but it requires no less faith than what it required of them because we are receiving the realization of the promise that has taken place in the past, but we're longing for the fulfillment of the promise in the future when Jesus returns. And my simple question for all of us today is, have you believed 
And are you believing in this moment in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? If you are, we have much to rejoice in and much to celebrate about as the people of God. If you haven't yet taken that step of faith, turning from your sins and to the Savior in repentance, today would be a good day to enter into the family of God and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We invite you to come. We'll not sing long, but as we sing, I invite you to come, and then even after the service is over with, we'll be here to receive you in the front, pray for you, encourage you, answer any questions that we can. Father, we rejoice in today. It's been a blessed day as we've come together and uh, uh, sang songs of worship and as we've given of our offerings and prayed and uh, celebrated believers' baptism and uh, lifted up Jesus and the Lord's Supper and now have heard this wonderful story from your word. We honor you as our master and Lord. May we live in such a way that our lives reflect who we are in you. We give this time of close and response over to you. If there are steps of faith that need to be taken. I pray that people would come, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.